At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Well, let's continue to worship God through opening the scriptures and hearing from them. Over the last few weeks since Easter, we've been in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, 2 Corinthians, again, is kind of buried in the middle of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the first four Gospels that start the New Testament. Then you have the book of Acts that narrates the life of the church in the first few decades after Jesus died and rose from the grave. And then you have the Apostle Paul's letters. First, the book of Romans, sort of his magnum opus, in a sense. And then, first and second Corinthians. So that's sort of the order there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, first and second Corinthians. And we're in chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 10 through 24. So 15 verses we're covering this morning. Six points. I'm going to have to use both of my hands. Most of my sermons are threes, so you're getting, you know, double duty here, right? No, for real, we got to move. A lot of material to cover. Um, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. You remember the Apostle Paul is writing back to the church in Corinth, and he is addressing them in light of God's call for them to be generous, in light of the opportunity for them to be generous to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was going through a difficult time, and Paul is spreading word about the need to give. He talked about the Macedonians' gift in verses 1 through 5, and now he's continuing to urge the Corinthians to take part in this gift that's eventually going to make its way to the church in Jerusalem to support them. And so we're looking to these chapters and asking the question more generally related to generosity. What is God's intention for us in giving? What does God's call for us to be generous look like? So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 through 24, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do this work. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring to do the work may be matched by your completing doing the work out of what you have. For if the readiness to give is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have 
for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. And with him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but this brother has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course of sending these brothers so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And when these brothers, Titus and the other, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. As for these other brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So, Corinthians, give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about, and of our boasting about you to these men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The local library, the hospital system, elementary school fundraisers, homeless shelters, the humane society, political candidates, political parties, political interest groups, food banks, cancer research centers, wildlife protection organizations, and I have to mention the guy outside of the grocery store in December shaking the little bell dressed as Santa Claus. The one thing that all of these people and organizations have in common is that they often ask us to donate to their organizations. They ask us to give our money to them. Opportunities to give are all over the place. Just this past week, we received in the mail a beautifully designed, wonderfully crafted magazine. And no, it wasn't Time or Newsweek or some other for-profit periodical. It was Meg's alma mater where she went to university. Now, were they sending her this nicely crafted magazine so that she could simply learn about what was going on at her old school and stay updated to the latest developments there? Oh no, they want her money. They want her donation. So along with the magazine, they conveniently included this prepaid envelope for her to throw her check into. Opportunities to give are all over the place. You think about the holiday shopping season leading up to Christmas. It used to just be Black Friday. Then there was local business Saturday. Then there was Cyber Monday. And now there's Giving Tuesday. Three days of consuming, three days of purchasing, three days of getting, and then to make us feel better about ourselves, one day of giving. So there's more getting than giving, but still, opportunities to give are all over the place. And giving is a good thing, right? 
we teach our kids to share. At least we try to. We teach our kids to not be selfish. And selfish tightwads are not the heroes of our stories, right? You think of Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. You think of the Grinch in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. These greedy, selfish jerks have to be transformed over the course of their stories in order for them to be likable. So opportunities to give are all over the place, and giving is a good thing. But how does God's word guide our generosity? What does scripture say about how we are to give? That's really the question we're asking throughout this series in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. In this situation, the Corinthians are presented with this opportunity to give. In this case, as I've mentioned, it's an opportunity to give towards the needs of the church in Jerusalem. They were being persecuted for their faith, the Jerusalem Christians were, and there was a famine in their region during this time. So there were sort of dual difficulties for the Jerusalem Christians, and Paul is aware of these struggles as he's traveling around the Mediterranean doing his missionary work. Paul is aware of the struggles back in Jerusalem, and he's trying to rally support for the Jerusalem church, and that's what he's doing in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. In a wise pastoral way, Paul is guiding the Corinthians towards generosity. So over the last two weeks, we've looked at the first nine verses of this chapter, and Paul's main emphasis in those verses was to talk about the proper motivation for giving. We are not to be forced to give, and we are not to be guilted into giving. Rather, the apostle says in those first nine verses, God's grace toward us in Christ is the proper motivation for giving. That's what we've looked at the last Two weeks. And as we move forward in these next few verses, Paul continues to address this opportunity they have to give. And I've identified, as I've said, a full six lessons of apostolic instruction for us related to giving. Six lessons about giving from the Apostle Paul. First, as it relates to giving, we're going to see listen to your leaders. Listen to your leaders. So let's start back into this. Look at verse 10. Paul says, And in this matter, this matter being the gift to the Jerusalem church, and in this matter, I give my judgment. Now, this is an interesting little sentence concerning the gift toward the Corinthians. In this matter, I give my judgment. For a couple of reasons, this should catch our attention. On the one hand, the apostle does share his judgment about what he thinks that the Corinthian church should do. He's going to tell them that they should give towards this relief effort. So as one of their leaders, he is speaking into this area of their life. On the other hand, the way he says this is not heavy-handed. It's not forceful. He says, related to this matter, I give you my judgment. And that word for judgment, it's translated by the King James as advice. 
And it's translated by the New American Standard as opinion. So in other words, Paul doesn't say, this is my absolute unqualified command from the Lord as one of his apostles. You should give this way. No, Paul's much less severe when it comes to this opportunity to give. On the one hand, he is offering his opinion on this matter. But on the other hand, he acknowledges, this is just my opinion. On the one hand, he is leading them related to their giving. He is speaking into and giving them direction related to this area of their life and their discipleship to Christ. But on the other hand, he's not doing so in a domineering, forceful way. So church, do you have these kinds of leaders in your life? Have you opened up yourself to be influenced related to how you give? Maybe some of you have not allowed yourself to be led in this way. You're just like, hey, this is my money, my finances, and how I give is a private matter. I spend how I wanna spend. I give if and when and how I wanna give. Maybe that's some of you. Maybe... There are others of you who have allowed yourself to be led in your giving, but the people who are leading you are domineering, bullying, forceful, manipulative. Well, either way, the apostles' words here address both groups. On the one hand, Paul is leading. He is speaking into this area of their life, but he's not being heavy-handed about it. So let's humble ourselves enough to listen to our leaders, to listen to gentle, humble, trustworthy leaders who have integrity and aren't just out for our money. A second lesson related to giving, fulfill your intentions. Fulfill your intentions. So jump back to verse 10 and let's read all the way through verse 11 as well. He says, and in this matter... I give my judgment, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desire to do this work. So now finish doing this work as well, so that your readiness in desiring the gift may be matched by your completing the gift. So apparently, as far back as a year before Paul wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, the Corinthians had already expressed an eagerness to give towards this relief effort in Jerusalem. But sending that amount of money that far away, that far ago in history, it takes time to coordinate those sorts of things. It takes time to actually get that amount of money from one place to another, and the plan wasn't in place yet. Well, now a year has gone down the road the Apostle Paul has a group of leaders coming through Corinth, heading th to Jerusalem, and he says, hey, you who were eager to do this, you who were eager to be a part of this a year ago, now finish what you started. Complete what you were ready to do by actually doing it. Fulfill your intentions, he says. So there are a lot of things in life that are easier to want to do than to actually do, right? 
I want to eat more healthfully. I want to exercise more consistently. I want to pray more fervently. And we could add to that list, I want to give more generously. Giving is one of those things that's easy to want to do. It's easy to intend to do, but it's also easy to not follow through on. Because of the other demands on our money, it never seems to stop. And unlike paying my bills, I'm not going to get evicted for not giving. I'm not going to get my internet service shut off for not being generous. But if I don't pay rent and if I don't pay Comcast, I'm in trouble. So it's easy to forget giving. It's easy to put it on the back burner. But Paul knows that the desire is there. Paul trusts that the Corinthians are, by God's spirit working in them, generous people. So again, he's not forcing them. He's not shaming them into giving. He's appealing to them on the basis of what they themselves want. He just knows that this particular want to act generously can easily be forgotten. So he's pressing in by reminding them, let your readiness to give be matched by actually giving. Fulfill your intentions. And I would say the same to you. Brothers and sisters of Woodside Lapeer, by God's grace in your lives, you are generous people. You want to see the poor cared for. You want to see the church provided for. You want to see missionaries sent out and leaders developed and churches planted. So let's fulfill our intentions to give towards these things. A third lesson about giving Paul shares with us. Give according to your means. Give according to your means. So once again, jump back to verse 11. And then let's go through to verse 12. He says, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring to give may be matched by your completing to give out of what you have. For if the readiness to give is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that the Jerusalem Christians should be eased and you should be burdened. So once more, the apostle here shows restraint in making his appeal for the Corinthians to give. He doesn't say, you should give to the point of suffering. You should give to the point of burdening yourself. No, he says, your gift is acceptable according to what a person has. He says, I do not mean that you should be burdened in making this gift. Now, for certain, the Corinthians were welcome to give sacrificially, to give to the point of seriously inconveniencing themselves. In verses one through five of this chapter, Paul had already held up the Macedonian churches as those who gave above and beyond their means. Nevertheless, what Paul is saying is, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm simply asking you to give according to your means. If you want to give above and beyond like the Macedonians, if you want to get crazy radical and make a serious sacrifice towards this relief effort, great. 
But my request is simply that you give according to your means. And I would say, similarly, to to the giving that we commit to as a church, one of the commitments we make in our covenant vows as members of Woodside Lapeer is a commitment to give. And we don't specify an exact amount and we don't check records to make sure every member is giving. Nevertheless, we do commit to give. And I would say that commitment is simply to give according to our means. So the best way to do that, Meg and I have found, is simply to build it into our family budget. Because our budget is based on our means, right? At least it should be. Our budget is based on our means. Our monthly budget is based on our monthly income. So we just say, okay, hey, here's our monthly income. Here's our monthly expenses. And then we say, okay, what are we able to give monthly? And then we just pay it out. In the same way that we make automatic payments to our internet provider, to our cell phone provider, our mortgage payment, etc. And gratefully, we've essentially always been able to do 10% of our incomes as our giving towards the church. From what I remember, there's only been a few months of our marriage when we were not able to do that for whatever reason because things got tight. But even that 10% is not like written in stone. That's just how the Lord has led us and an amount that Meg and I have been able to unify around. Again, the principle that the apostle lays out here is give according to your means. I'm not asking you to live in your car so that you can save money on your mortgage. I'm not asking you to liquidate your savings. I'm not asking you to overly burden yourself. No, he calls on us to give according to our means. Fourthly, this is a big one. Rightly view your excess. Rightly view your excess. Once more, look again at verses 13 through 15. Paul says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you should be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. So Paul instructs them, He says, your abundance, your excess should supply their need. He says, the good fortune of God's provision in your life right now should supply the needs of those who are not so fortunate right now. And then he quotes Exodus chapter 16, in which Moses writes about the Israelites' experience in the wilderness after they've left Egypt. Each morning... God provides for the Israelites manna from heaven, and the people were to go out and gather this manna, but God instructed them that the people who gathered much should have nothing left over. There was to be no excess. Instead, you were to share your excess with those who had gathered little. So the question Paul's answering for us is, why do we have more than we need. 
do I have more than I need in order to save up for a rainy day? Do I have more than I need in order for me to buy something bigger and better and cooler? Or do I have more than I need in order to share with those who do not have enough to meet their needs? Because oftentimes it's easy for us to see our pay increase or, to, or, to, uh, or, or for us to get a large financial gift. It's easy for us to see that as an opportunity for us to use that excess to get an upgrade. I've got better wages, so I'm going to get a better house, a better car, a better whatever. And I don't think we, get, we can say that getting those sorts of material upgrades is always bad. I don't think we can say that. At the same time, we need to be real honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, am I viewing my excess rightly? Am I utilizing my abundance to help provide for those who are living in scarcity? Or am I simply seeing my excess as a chance to selfishly upgrade every aspect of my life? The apostle says, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. In other words, rightly view your excess. Fifth, a fifth lesson related to giving. Rely on your partnerships. Rely on your partnerships. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, what we're going to see in verses 16 through 23 is a pretty lengthy section, seven verses. What we see is that Paul shares about three brothers who have come to Corinth delivering the letter of 2 Corinthians. And these three men are also the delegates sent to Jerusalem to carry the gift to the church there. So the Corinthians were supposed to give their money to these men. And what Paul does is share about the reliability of these men. First, in verses 16 through 17, he mentions Titus. Titus, who would have been known by the Corinthians previously because Titus had worked with Paul for some time in his missionary work. And Paul says about Titus there in verse 16 that God had put in Titus' heart the same earnest care for the Corinthians that Paul himself had. That's the kind of man Titus is. Paul says he cares for you. He loves you. He doesn't love your money. So he's someone you can trust and rely on. Then the next two brothers he mentions, he doesn't tell us their name. He just refers to them as the brother and our brother. But he does tell us about the first man that he's well-known, even famous among the churches for his ministry of the gospel. In other words, he's not just some random dude. He's a brother with a good reputation among God's people. Furthermore, he was appointed by the churches for this task. So this guy wasn't like, oh yeah, I'd love to be the guy handling the money. No, the churches of Macedonia identified him as trustworthy and reliable for the task. The third brother Paul mentions in verse 22, again, doesn't give us his name, but Paul says about him that we have often tested him and found him earnest in many matters, found him sincere. In other words, this guy isn't a novice. 
He isn't a newcomer. No, we've tested him and found him faithful. So you can trust your gift with him. You can rely on him as a partner in this ministry to the Jerusalem church. And if you look at verses 20 through 21, you can see why Paul is at pains to elaborate on the character and trustworthiness of these brothers who are handling all this money. He says, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. So Paul is saying, as we're handling all this money intended to be a gift to the Jerusalem Christians, we don't want to be the cause of blame. We want to be above reproach. We want to avoid even the possibility of being accused of anything shady because we not only want to live honorably in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. In other words, we not only want God to think well of us, we want other people to think well of us. And it will help you think well of us if this money is being handled by multiple proven leaders. So we're sending brothers that you know. We're sending brothers who are respected. We're sending brothers who have been tested and found trustworthy. He's calling on the Corinthians to rely on your partnerships with me and with these brothers in this effort to serve the churches in Jerusalem. And I would say the same to you. Brothers and sisters of Woodside Lapeer, I don't want to ask you to give your money to something wherein you don't know what that something is, nor do you not know the people who are leading it. It's one of the reasons I often point out to you our founding pastor, Gary Gillum, and he's still one of our pastors, because I want you to know him. I want you to see his genuineness. When you support this ministry, you're supporting brothers in the likes of him. The same goes for our pastor elder, one of our other ones, Jim Durbin. He's leading our next steps class in the 11 o'clock service, and he's here at this service as well. He's doing those things. I'm putting him in the position to do those things because I want people who connect with our church to know you're connecting with leaders, the likes of him, who love this church, who care for this church. A brother you can rely on. And it's one of the reasons I've sought to get other leaders within the Woodside family to visit us. Steve Zarelli, our executive pastor of campusing, preached for us just last month in March. Chris Brooks, our senior pastor, shared at our men's breakfast last summer. Jim Dalkey, the Lake Orion campus pastor, preached for us a couple summers ago. I want to get these other leaders in front of you so that you, at least in some way, can get to know them to know they're reliable, to know that when you give towards Woodside, you're giving towards leaders you know, relying on your partnerships. I don't wanna ask you to give blindly in the same way that Paul here says to the Corinthians, when you give this money, you're giving to Titus, who loves you. You're giving to this brother who's well-respected. You're giving to this brother who's been tested. Rely on your partnership. In giving. So here we go. Listen to your leaders. Fulfill your intentions. Give according to your means. Rightly view your excess. Rely on your partnerships. And finally, a sixth two-handed lesson related to giving. 
give proof of your love. Giving is a chance to give proof of your love. Paul says there in the last verse of this chapter, verse 24, he says, give proof before the churches of your love. Give proof of our boasting about you to these men. Paul says, I have boasted about you, Corinthian Christians, I've boasted about you to these three brothers that I'm sending to you. Prove what we boasted about you to be true about you. And more specifically, prove your love. You say you love God. You say you love God's people. Prove your love through this act of grace. Prove your love by fulfilling this opportunity to give. Paul doesn't simply say, give this gift, be generous. No, he says, prove your love. Do you see the difference? Because it's easy to say you love someone, but it is a whole different thing to prove you love someone by giving. And the same is true for God. God didn't simply say he loved us. For God so loved the world that he put a big I heart you in the sky. For God so loved the world that he verbalized his love, audibly speaking, I love you, to each person. No, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God didn't just tell us he loved us. He proved that he loved us through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The cross is a demonstration. The cross is proof positive that God loves us. God followed through on his intent to generously give us grace out of the excess of his mercy. It flowed forth. He shared with us life and joy and peace and forgiveness in Christ and by his spirit. So I call on you, church, Let's trust in him. Let's let him shape us. Let's let his word shape not only our giving, but all of our lives. Let's be the generous people that we are by God's grace and through his spirit. May it be so. All six points. May they be true of us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning once more, having reflected on your generosity, having reflected on your giving nature. And even at the heart of the gospel is this wonderful truth that you gave your only son to live among us, to die for us, and to be raised so that we could receive, so that we could be recipients of life eternal. And we could have the gift 
of your Holy Spirit bringing us to life, changing us. We are grateful, God. We are grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we also come before you in light of what can be a touchy subject. Many of us have been taken advantage of, even by church leaders. Many of us have been abused for the sake of our money in the name of Jesus. It's a touchy subject, Father. And many of us are just flat out stingy and greedy. Father, wherever we are this morning, we pray that the light and the power of your word, the truth of your grace, and the goodness of the way of life following Jesus, pray that all that would be at work in our hearts and help us to live in light of your word and follow it faithfully. Lord, you can only do this, and so we humble ourselves before us and continue to pray, Christ, be magnified in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.